Conversations. I'm your host, Daquana Farrell. Really excited about the episode that we have for today, especially in the month of October. I have the privilege and the honor of introducing the guests for this particular podcast. I'm not even going to go, I'm just going to dive right into it. So, uh, Julie Morrison is the founder of the Heal Her Foundation, establishing 2015. The Heal Her Foundation is organized exclusively for women's wellness, including charitable and educational purposes. The foundation specifically focuses on increasing resources and opportunity for women and girls in the local and global community. Their mission reflects the organization's area of concentration to educate and increase awareness of issues specific to women's needs, including but not limited to um, economic security, freedom from violence and addiction, as well as enhancing access to healthcare services and information. Julie's vision for the Heal Her Foundation is to create a global platform to uplift and encourage women who have experienced unspeakable trauma and help them to heal while connecting with people who understand their journey. Julie's inspiration came from many years of camouflaging her own pain while making unhealthy choices and sabotaging important relationships. Julie sought to gain clarity in her own life and discover the root cause of the uncertainty she was feeling. Her own healing journey started as she began to find education and inspiration to make new choices and create new happiness. Today, the Heal Her Foundation is a thriving success. It is known for its healing community outreach events, which continually sell out every year, garnering the support of notable corporate sponsors. Julie Morrison is a wife, a mother, gifted leader, speaker, entrepreneur, and now breast cancer survivor. After a recent di diagnosis, she's currently undergoing chemotherapy treatment as a precaution, uh, as all cancer has already been removed from her body. Julie has publicly shared her cancer journey with grace, grit, and strength to serve as a living witness to others that they too can be healed, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well, because healing her heals you to come on queens and let's welcome to queen conversations julie morrison hi hi, hi. thank you so much for being on queen conversations i'm so excited and to thank hear you and your journey and your story and all mm -hmm. the amazing ways that you're helping women and girls oh my before we dive into it julie before we dive into it, I got some this or that questions. Okay, 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 I'm ready. Everybody should know that these are all off the top. Mm -hmm. Julie does not know what questions I'm going to ask. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> too judgmental. Okay, so Julie, audio book or ebook? Audio book. 
Yes. When you're busy in the car, those audiobooks come in handy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Call or text? Call. Yes. I like that. Uh, travel alone or travel with friends? Travel with friends. Travel. With, have you ever traveled alone? Um, No. Okay. <laughs> I did it once. I, I actually did it once and I absolutely loved it and I would definitely do it again. Okay. Okay. Although I love a good girl's trip. Uh-huh. So play or musical? Musical. Musical. Foresee the future or change the past? Foresee the future. That's good. Okay. This is the million dollar question. You cannot phone a friend. It is Apple or Android? Apple. I'm an Apple girl. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So again, thank you so much, Julie. Yeah. Really. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. So Julie, I, I want to explore your story. I am so glad that you've gotten to a place of healing and transparency to be able to share it. Um, uh, as you indicated in your bio, there was a period of time in life where things were challenging for you. Um, mm -hmm. You weren't making the best decisions. Um, you know, things you said you were sabotaging relationships. I, that's something that I really want to talk about a little bit. And you can talk about your upbringing and kind of your childhood, if you'd like to share a little of that. But I do want to talk about that component in particular, because I think a lot of us as women feel like I'm the only one that experienced that period of time where I was not doing the right things for me. Mm -hmm. And people often think that they're the only ones. And I love that you're like, hey, yeah, it was me too. It was me too. Yes. Well, you know, I started the Heal Her Foundation in 2015 for me. Because I was feeling stagnant, I was feeling miserable, and I, I, I said something's got to give. I know I'm not supposed to spend the rest of my life feeling like this. What can I do differently? Um, my mother was in active addiction. Um, I grew up in a home that um, that delved into active addiction during the early 80s um, when the crack cocaine academic really, really hit our community and my mom was affected by it. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I grew up feeling neglected, rejected and unprotected in all fashions. Okay. So you can kind of imagine what I mean. So with that being said, um, my mom was dealing with her own hurts. Mm -hmm. So therefore, this young girl that she's raising, she just really didn't have a clue what to do with me as she was trying to deal with herself. So it kind of left me vulnerable. It mm -hmm. kind of left me, I think, as prey. Um, and so once I started to um, grow into my own, I didn't really have any lessons. Um, I, I started to use things as my survival mechanism because, I mean, that's what you do. And a lot of times you learn from the streets if you don't have a mother figure or someone that teaches you and guides you. And I didn't have that. With my mom and her addiction going in and out of jail, I was kind of just out here trying to figure life out the best way I knew how. And what happens when you go to your community, the streets, they're going to they're going to accept you and they're going to teach you what they know. And so that's exactly what I started to do kind of just learn from from what you know other people were doing and it wasn't always the right decisions so what happened is i didn't really understand um how to handle my emotions i didn't understand how to handle rejection um being neglected and definitely unprotected so what happens is i put up um i, I allow myself to become people pleasing 
Um, I allowed certain abuses in my life that was just not really conducive to my person. Um, it was just a lot. And my mom wasn't there um, to kind of direct me. So I kind of just um, followed other mother figures who I thought would be a great um, person to follow or friends. And I just got into some things that just wasn't... Um, it wasn't a good fit. And I did that mostly in my teens, in my 20s. And so it made a situation that was already bad, even worse, in my opinion. I made some very bad decisions and I had to suffer some consequences from those decisions that I did make as a youth before I even thought about um, starting the Heal Her Foundation, which I didn't start that until I was like 40 years old. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, um, Julie, what was the pivot? What was the change um, that you experienced? Do you recall when that was, when you went from that, that particular time in your life to a place where you're kind of getting to a place where you're turning the corner? Right. Um, I think um, right before I turned, um, let me see here. Um, I, I, like I, I had some great losses and I just remember Say, I remember because I was all I started to really listen to the word mm -hmm. and I started to um, try to understand what it meant for me. And I said and, and they always kept saying to me and what I remember hearing is and um, I don't know how biblical I can get. Um, but, yeah. yeah. So, you know, when I started to really, really listen to the word as to why Jesus came, why mm -hmm. was he sent? And what came to me is he came to show us love. He came to show us love and for him to be able to get people of unroth minds to follow him was um, and all he gave them was love. He I feel like he came to show us love and and how to give love and so on. And I'm like, I know that there has to be a different way. Why am I feeling this way? Um, what do I need to do? And so that is when I started to dig deep to figure out why do I have envy? Why do I have jealousy? You know, and I started looking at those seven deadly sins. Why do I have all these? There's got to be a reason. And as I started to think about at times when I used to go to Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, my mom, when she was on the wagon, they had a real great concept. Get with people like you and start your severity. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm not really into drinking, but I did. I, I had my partying stages and been out in the streets and the clubs and fighting and caring on, lost my tooth. I mean, I, I did a whole lot of damage mm -hmm. to myself. Um, and I started to look at the the way that the Alcoholics Anonymous, how they would get together and start their healing. And I said, well, wait a minute. I, I started to um, go to counselors or therapists and, and, um, and I really think they're really great. But one thing about it is I wasn't a person that wanted to continue to keep telling my story over and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want, I want an action plan. Tell me how to stop feeling like this. How do I change the way I feel? What do I do? And I think that's what most women want to know. How do I stop? How do I change my thought pattern? If I've been living a certain way all 20 years, 30 years, even 40, how do I change it? And I wanted to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's when I feel like my healing journey began mm. is I said, I'm going to get with other women and we're going to put our stuff on the table. And we're going to figure this out because I can't keep going through abusive relationships, whether it's with my a mate, my friends, my family, um, whatever the case might be. So that's when I created um, her support group. 
And mm-hmm. I just want to invite women to come and to sit down and let's learn a new skill set because I never understood how to handle conflict resolution. Mm. Never understood how to handle my emotions when I'm triggered. But then I had to understand what was triggered. So mm-hmm. then I had to really dive into educating myself about mental mental illness. The mental illness is a wide range. I mean, you know, a lot of times we hear about the big stuff like schizophrenia or we hear about bipolar or a manic depression. But there is a lot to mental illness and dealing with depression. And we are what we call sometimes we can be functional depression people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I was. I had just been living like in a, in a depressive state for many, many years since I was a youth. Mm-hmm. not really understanding. So I had to start learning and educate myself. One thing about the Heal Her Foundation that I, I always wanted to focus off um, is healing her mind, mm-hmm. healing her body and healing her soul. Mm-hmm. So one thing about healing her mind was to become educated. You have to can stay that forever student so you can understand why you act the way you do, you know, why things happen the way they happen. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of when I started to educate myself, like, what is mental illness? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Am I bipolar? I didn't want to accept any kind of illness or sickness or disease. I, you know, cause I don't want to put nothing on me. You know what I'm saying? I learned that words are powerful. So I just wanted to learn. And mm-hmm. one thing that I did learn is the different stages of depression mm-hmm. and how we can function and still go to work, still have a family, but we don't understand how what we do is we affect other people around us with our sickness and we're thinking we're functional and Mm -hmm. we're definitely not because you know you heard the old saying hurt people hurt people but some people don't even know that they're hurt and they're hurt people because therefore we basically have what our illness that we're just kind of working through as robots and Mm -hmm. that's what I was doing and Mm -hmm. I finally started to educate myself Mm, but it's my mental illness that's good so it sounds like a, a combination of your faith, understanding that there is a greater love than the love that you have received all those years. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also wanting to know more about you and why you are the way you are. Those mm-hmm. things as a combination really got you to a point of that turn. And then in turn, you also wanted other women to be able to experience what it is to get to the root cause and to understand ways that we can deal with Uh, these these multi-dimensional pieces of ourselves, right? Because we're not just one-sided. So that, that, that is amazing. And I can Mm -hmm. see how you wove your experience into the foundations of your organization. So let's talk about 2015, which probably was a very exciting time for you um, Mm -hmm. because you're you're stepping in and walking into true purpose and putting it into action. So let's talk about 2015 and and really what made that the particular time. Okay. So in 2015 is when I was like, I'm going to create this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Um, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure out what all of this means. So I wanted to learn about entitlement. Mm-hmm. And I learned that I had some entitlement issues and I had some anger towards my mother and other people who I felt like didn't do what they were supposed to do for me. Mm-hmm. And I also felt like there, you know what I mean? You, people don't realize their entitlement issues can really, really strangle them. And so I felt like I should have had a different kind of mother, a different kind of relationship. I mean, it was just crazy. So then I had to take ownership of that. And so I had a mentor and my mentor is actually my aunt. And at the time she was actually 
um, in Dallas, Texas, under the pastoral um, service of T.D. Jakes, becoming a minister herself. And she is so, so hardcore. I mean, she when I tell you, she, you know, and she told me this is what you need to do. And she basically said, um, and I can't think of the scripture, but it was like, I remember her saying, um, you uh, write the vision and make it plain. And, and, and she was like hard on me and she told me what to do. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? So I went to invite some friends to just come and experience her support group. We're going to put this together. Not the, I didn't know at the time that it was going to be a nonprofit because I didn't understand nonprofit. I didn't know what it was. I researched um, in my community support group meetings, but it most support group meetings were geared towards specific things mm -hmm. um, like Alcoholic Anonymous. Okay, it's not about alcohol. It's not about drugs. Well, sometimes it can be, mm -hmm. um, but but my my situation was more emotional, mental, and I wanted to figure out what to do. So I started to research and I couldn't find anything. So then that's when I said, I'm going to create my own. So when I started to invite some friends and say, hey, I'm going to do what is called her support group. We're going to actually talk about what's going on in our lives and try to figure out how we can change the way we feel about ourselves and we can start living happier lives. And then it spread and then it spread. And then this one told this one and that one told that. And then it was like, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, I want to figure it out. And so I said, OK, well, maybe I need to rent out an event center. So I rented out an event center. I only had it was only three hundred dollars and I didn't have any money. So I rented out an event center and then I said, oh, OK, well, I got to feed the people because one thing about women, we love to eat. So then, um, I said, OK, well, dang, I, can, I can't pay for this. So, you know, we're going to have to put a price on it, you know, like thirty five dollars just so we can eat and whatever. And before you knew it, the first year that I rented out this step, I had a total of like eighty five women that showed up. And I said, wait a minute, this is something. <laughs> this is something. Okay, so I'm not by myself. Yeah. So when I started to come up with my tagline, I said, healing her heals me too. Mm. So maybe, you know, healing her heals me too. Healing me, um, you know what I mean? What's going to healing her empowers her. I mean, I started to just kind of, you know, throw those in the air, healing her, you know, um, healing me heals her too, just whatever. And so I said, well, let me bring some people that may have more knowledge than I do about how to start a healing journey. And so I started to bring other women on my platform to say, like, come share with us what you went through, what you did to overcome, because that's what we all want to know. We're all like this. Yes. Like, how did you do it? Like, what happened? I mean, and it became big mm -hmm. to the point that I started to do it every year. And not only did I want to do the luncheon, but then I said, what can I do for my community? What did I need? Mm -hmm. So I started to do monthly support group meetings. Um, like I said, I'm a nonprofit. Um, we didn't have any money. So we basically started to go to, you know, whatever was free, like the libraries. And we started to just have these support group meetings. And then I started to connect with therapists, counselors, life coaches, and kind of started bringing them into our monthly group meetings just to teach. You know what I mean? Um, one thing that I always wanted Hill Her to be is a learning environment. You're going to learn something when you leave from our sessions. So it's not like we're just going to get together and tell sad stories. We're not going to bleed on each other, um, but we're going to learn how to handle the triggers. And like I said, at the beginning, I had some rejection, neglection and unprotection issues. So therefore, whenever I'm feeling rejected, triggers happen and I act out. Mm -hmm. So I had to start writing those down. Like what happens when someone rejects me? And I'm talking about as simple as you have a girlfriend and she always on her cell phone. But as soon as you call, she don't answer. 
Mm. You don't understand that there are women out there that that rejection trigger starts to to, to come in their mind. That insanity sets in and revenge sets in. When when she calls me back, I'm not going to answer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Women don't realize that they do things like that. And that is what we call triggers. So I had to start learning when I started to feel uneasy, write those things down. These are triggers that I'm feeling because why? As a youth, I may have felt rejected mm-hmm. or neglected. Um, you know, even when you're having relationships, my mate, you know what I mean? Um, if I'm feeling neglected by him because and I'm starting and it's really, really just going all the way back from when I felt neglected, rejected from my, my, my family, my mother. And I had to work on that. Yeah. I had to work on my mommy issues. That was really a hard thing for me. And a lot of women would come to me and say, I have mommy issues, but I can't say it out loud because it was like taboo. You can't really, they didn't want to talk about having an issue with their mother. And so at the time I was kind of an angry person. So I didn't care. I blasted her you know, my mother. And I was like, you know, I'm a daughter of addicted mother. And this is what's going on with me. And she really felt like I had disrespected her. I had put her on blast where she felt like people didn't really know what was going on with her. And I I just kind of put her business out there. But, and I, and I basically said, it's for me, my healing. Mm. You know, I started a support group called Daughters of Addicted Mothers. And my first actual luncheon was Daughters of Addicted Mothers. It brought out a lot of girls, a lot of women who have mommy issues. So then women started to tell me, well, I, my mother's not an addict or alcoholic, but I, st- I have mommy issues. I still, I, how do I work out with my mom mm-hmm. issues of whatever went on? You know, addiction can run with just not alcohol. It could be, you know, a mother that works all the time, a mother that puts her husband first, um, a mother that gambles. Um, it, it could just, uh, or, or a mother who's into toxicity or dramatic stuff, um, user. It, it just could be a, a, a wide range. And I've met all kinds. Mm-hmm. that had different issues. So then I said, okay, we were talking about the mother. So then I did an event where I had daughters talking about the issues that they had with their mother and how they resolved. But then I brought mothers in Wow. to show, so it wasn't biased. So a mother can say, this is what my mindset was mm-hmm. at the time that I was doing drugs or that I neglected my children. It wasn't that they purposely meant to do that. They only did what they knew how to do. Yeah, we don't know. And then I came up with a segment like, do you know your mother's story? So then I had to sit down and listen to my own mother and understand what her story was. And it's like, wow, no wonder you didn't know what you were doing because you were never taught yourself. So that kind of, you know, so 2015, it just kind of, you know, blew up. And so then instead of calling it a Pacific thing, I said, I'm just going to call it the Heal Her Foundation, where we're dealing with mommy issues. We're dealing (laughs) with mental illness. We're dealing with health and wellness. We're dealing with purpose and soul work. We're dealing with everything. So in in that way, it wasn't so um, specific to a certain situation. So yeah, 2015 is when it just exploded. I didn't know it was going to happen that way. I didn't know what the Lord had in store for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, uh, it, it became a thing then at that time. Mm-hmm. How did you stay connected to your community? These women, um, uh, during the pandemic, it was very hard because human connection is real. 
Um, I started to um, do Zoom meetings. So it was like introducing introducing women to Zoom. And it was so crazy, but I did it on my regular job. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like what I did. But a lot of people who don't, ha- don't use computers or don't really have that access, they didn't know how. So it was like really like a teaching lesson because mm-hmm. it was crazy because with my son, he was in um, he was going into sixth grade. And before I knew it, I was worried about him. He had all his friends on Zoom. I was like, wait a minute, my son can do this. I mean, you know, because I was worried about him having because he's the only child. All his friends, they was washing dishes. They be talking smack, worship, watching TV together on Zoom. So I can get these ladies of all ages to get on zoom. And I did. And then we got, we got everybody on zoom and started to still kind of fellowship and using social media platforms. A lot of women who had never really dealt with a lot of social media became aware of social media. So during the pandemic, and let me tell you, it was hard. So for me, I'm an only child for my mother. So I'm used to being by myself. Being by myself is my protection, is mm-hmm. what I used to always tell me because I didn't like to go around the people that my mom, because I was prey. You know what I mean? I had been violated. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, me by myself was, a, I'm, you, I loved it. But for people who, who mm-hmm. like outdoors and who like people and big families around, oh man, they struggled. Yeah, and I felt for them. So mm-hmm. these Zoom meetings really, really helped um, to get women pe- through that um, through the COVID until we were able to actually meet one. And soon as we was able to meet, I'm telling you, they packed up the place. <laughs> Mask, everything. They was covered up, you know, because that human connection is very important. Really, really important. That's good. Um, I want to I want to um, come up toward the conversation pertaining to your survivorship, which I think is phenomenal. Okay. Um, I want to talk about uh, when you were diagnosed with cancer. Okay. Um, and let me tell you, that was one of the hardest things that I have probably ever dealt with. Um, but one thing I will say is the Heal Her Foundation, the support group meetings that um, that I, you know, because I'm a student too. I would always bring counselors, life coaches in to teach us because I'm still a forever student. And I noticed that um, one thing that we talked about in Heal Her is healing her mind as getting education. So I always made sure we had information for education. And then also um, my God work, which is healing her soul, you know, finding my purpose, helping women to find their purpose in life and how to give back to their communities in order to do healing her soul and her service work. But one thing that I never really focused on was healing her body. And I always said, you know, we got to start doing some more exercise and healing our body. And I, one of my cousins said, Julie, whenever you have a new something, it happens to you first. It mm-hmm. always happens to you. So, of course, you know, when you have social media and you want to you want to um, do affirmations and Jesus and God on Facebook and quote scriptures and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I always said that I had my faith and I was a God's girl and this and that and the other. And so, boom. Mm-hmm. I, I also have wellness groups. I had 20, I had 30 women that were going to be going to Hawaii in June. I had 25 women that were going to New Orleans in July because I also do wellness trips with the ladies. And all of a sudden, April the 20th, I get a phone call 
that um, my biopsy, because I've had biopsies before, mm-hmm. was 95% cancerous. And I said, excuse me, I got too much going on. I was building a new house. I was, um, um, I had just sold my house. I had moved in an apartment to my house got built. I got trips going on. I got women going here. I mean, I got stuff to do. Right. What do you mean I got cancer? Mm-mm-mm. And then it just hit me. I got something inside of me trying to kill me. Mm. Oh my God. It was the most devastating Mm. thing that I can ever imagine. When you have a baby inside of you, you feel the flutters and it's a cute little baby. But Mm. when you got something inside of you, like a visible killer, Mm. I'm a good person, God. Why? Mm. Why do I have to have this? And I had, and I beat myself up. You know, about what I've did in the past or am I getting, you know, karma? I mean, it was just the 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 craziest feeling mm. then to break it to my husband. My husband is an alpha male. Mm. And I said, I didn't talk to you. He's all I, he's busy. Da, 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 da. What do you want? What is, what's going on? What are you complaining about now? Who did what? And I'm like, can you sit down? Mm. He said, okay, here we go. What happened now? Because, you know, women, we always want to get in here and beat them up with our stuff. <laughs> and I, I told him that um, I had been diagnosed with stage two um, ductal carcinoma breast cancer. I was triple positive. Mm. He said, say what? And I never seen my husband break down and he broke down on my lap. Mm. And I'm like, if I ain't never thought this this character cared about me, because I ain't never seen him, um, you know, cut a tear. Uh, Oh, my goodness. And he broke down and it just hurt me. Mm. I didn't realize. I mean, I had to realize I have empathy for people to do the work that I do. But to see my husband break down, it broke me all the way up. Like, Mm. you're going to die. Are you going to die? Um. Then I had to tell my son, we waited for the second, um, um, we went and got a double, um, I can't think of the word right now, um, when I went to get it checked again, and mm-hmm. it came back and now it's considered 100%, and we had to tell my son he was 11, and just to watch my son um, punch the air, he punched the air, he punched the wall, he was 11, he punched his soak-filled tears, I had to get in the bed and tackle him and and just kind of calming down and just pray. Cause we were always a praying family and we pray every day. I even teach my son, taught my son to pray. So whenever I take him to school, he always said, I'm going to say the prayer. Cause you take too long. Dear God, thank you for this day. Dear God. You know what I mean? He always, he said, I take too long praying. So he always prayed. And so it's like, what, what are we going to do as a family? Um, so one thing that I did notice that I was always on Facebook, social media, talking about Jesus and God and talking about my faith. So now put my faith to work now. So, you know, you always talking this good game. What are you going to do? And mm-hmm. you heal her lady. What's, what are you going to do? So what I decided, um, two things that I want to um, tell your listeners that I noticed that women do, we subside our pain for others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to really step back and try to not really let my husband see my son, see my suffrage. So I try to be strong in in everything that I was going on. So May 20, so April, April 20th, 
um, I was diagnosed May 28th. Um, I elected to have a double mastectomy and we can talk about the treatment plan later. But um, and the reason why is because my grandmother is a breast cancer a survivor. Her two sisters had breast cancer. Their mother, which is my great grandmother, had breast cancer. So therefore, I was prone. It did skip my mother's generation and hit me as one of the first grandchildren. I did take a genetics test and the genetics test came back, said I was negative that um for for the gene but my history already told me so I elected to have a double mastectomy and like I said we can talk about that later but one thing that I wanted to that I that I did was for my son, my husband and my son um, I said, well, you know, now that I've had a double mastectomy, I don't have cancer no more. I just have to go through the chemo as a preventive measure mm. in order to make sure that they get the tumor and anything around it, the tissue was all affected. And I downplayed it to them. So mm. then they just stop crying and they can say, oh, yeah, you, you, you don't have a cancer no more. Mm. But baby, that chemo. Oh, my goodness. It's rough. I've watched someone do it. It, um, it sets you down. It really, really sets you down. And everybody's body type, it, 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 you handle it differently. I thought chemotherapy was like one type of chemo. No, depending on the type of cancer, your age, and just different factors, depending on the strength. Well, I got a max amount. <laughs> and I tell you, that sucker, it just really, really set me down. And um, I was trying to make sure I didn't go into a depression because this can send you into a depression. And so what I decided to do is share my story. One thing that I always say and heal her, I'm not going to suffer in silence any longer. I'm going to let people know, and there's going to be somebody out there that can assist me. And so what I did was I went to social media and I shared my story and I said, and a lot of people say, oh, girl, you get on that Facebook, you get the crying. And I didn't want to bleed on people, but mm -hmm. I wanted people to understand that what I was going through. I, I've heard of people having cancer. I remember my grandmother had the breast cancer and she had a mastectomy. And that was one reason why I got a double, because she had lopsided boobs with that prosthesis. And I didn't want that. But she mm -hmm. never talked about it. Wow. The different people that I would talk to, they would never, oh, yeah, I had breast cancer two years ago, 10 years ago. And it was like subsided. And I'm like, heck no. Well, so why aren't we talking about this? I mean, we got to talk about this. And in, in October, I had a mammogram and it came back clear, but I had dense breasts, so they didn't see it. Mm. I felt the lump. Actually, I went to a chiropractor, was getting my back worked on because I have scoliosis and I was getting my back door and the lady gives me a deep tissue massage. It was a Korean lady. And I said, and I said, Jim, can you feel this? She said, yeah, go get that checked out. And I felt it. That's the reason why I had early detection. But in October, it showed nothing. So the early detection is really what's important. But I wanted people to see. And I felt like the Lord said, Julie, let people watch you heal. Because mm -hmm. if you're a believer like you say you are, then go ahead and show them what hurt looked like. Mm -hmm. and I'm there with my rawness and I cried and I let them know that I did the oh what was me I felt like I was going to die my family was breaking apart my son was losing his mind he got suspended nine times in school he almost got expelled kicked out my husband was going through it I couldn't go to the school my husband is an alpha male so he's argumentative and he arguing with the school I'm like oh lord you know <laughs> I basically would be that person and I got to send him because I was weak and I couldn't and he 
he's my son is right and he can prove me wrong and i'm like oh these people can't stand my husband or my my husband or my child and they try to put my son out of school but he was fighting he got kicked out at summer camp he did not understand how to handle his mother having cancer and one thing that I joined a support group just for cancer patients to so I can learn and I can get educated on everything that I can think of. And I remember um, saying, how do I talk to my son? And they said, don't lie to him. Don't if he asks you, are you going to die? Don't say, oh, I'm not going to die. He said, because then if you die, he's going to it's going to haunt him in his later years. Um, and so they said, tell him you're going to do whatever you can not to. Mm. So that's what I told my son. He said, are you going to lose your hair? I said, I'm probably going to lose my hair. And then, are you going to die? And I said, listen, I can't guarantee that, but I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to go to my treatments. I'm going to take my chemo. I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to do whatever I can to be here because, Lord, I have an 11-year-old son. Mm -hmm. And he is kind of wild. And I know everybody can't don't love everybody wild child. And I need to be here to grow him up until he can take care of himself. I need to be here for this crazy man of mine. Because he loses his mind. I said, Lord, can you please? And I prayed. And I and I said, but I said, Lord, but let your will be done. If, it, if my time is done, then let me find some acceptance and let me get the comfort and, and healing for my family. But if it's not, let me roar. And I said, I'm going to tell everybody. And I, I got on social media and I shared it and I said, watch me heal. Because I feel like the Lord was saying, show them what hurt looks like, because I'm about to show them what heal looks like. And That's I was come out like, bam, you know what I mean? And that's exactly what he did. I showed him what hurt looks like. Mm -hmm. And I did everything that I needed to do. And even through my chemo, I still did my support group meetings. I still did my heal her. I still did events. Um, I was dead smack in the middle of my chemo, ball headed everything. And I did my first pink luncheon because I wanted to bring awareness to early detection. I wanted to bring awareness to depression during cancer. Mm -hmm. I to bring awareness to treatment plans because women, especially black women, we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. I tell you our non-black communities, they talk about it. They swing from the ceiling. They are all over. They're on motorcycles. They do marches. They do races. They do a lot. We are welcome to come, no doubt, but we need to be present to see what's going on. So I said, I'm going to create something um, called the Pink Luncheon, okay? Mm -hmm. To bring women out, I'm going to, we're going to educate and we're going to celebrate for the women that just say, oh yeah, I had two years. No, we're going to celebrate you sister. And mm -hmm. we're going to show y'all the reasons why I did not realize that people said, well, I don't get no mammograms because all that poking and probing, I think that's the reason why people get cancer. We got to change your mindset. Yeah. We got to change it where people say, I ain't been in five years, two years. You don't know what's going on with you or you're scared. But I wanted to bring the education to sometimes with these doctors, they never had cancer. They're going off of studies. So you have to go off of what you learned. So when I joined these support group uh, for women and they were telling me, yeah, I got the lump nectomy, but the cancer came back on the other breast. Or um, I got one breast done, but didn't do the other one. It came back or or this, that, and the other. Or, or the fact that I was given an opportunity to do the chemo first to try to see if they can shrink the tumor. My support group ladies, I'll tell you, they some powerful women and there's thousands of them in this group. And they said no, because the chemo sometimes is not as strong for the lump or the tumor and the tumor continued to grow. Mm. The 
thing about cancer is you don't want it to get into your lymph nodes. The lymph nodes is usually up under your arms, and those are the gateways to other parts of your body, whether it's going to your brain, down to your, you know, other parts of your body. So you don't want to get it there. So mm -hmm. there's early detection when it's a small little piece when you're trying to get it. So even if you do chemo first, you, there's no guarantee that you're going to shrink it. And I didn't want to take that chance. So I told the nurse practitioner, well, I've decided I'm going to do a double mastectomy. She said, oh, no, well, we might just do a lump neck. No, 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 no. My family it has been having breast cancer. No, we suggest. No, 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 no. Yeah. I decided that I'm going to do a, a, double mas a double mastectomy. Well, don't you want to save your breasts? I said, these breasts is beat up. I didn't have them popping biopsied and, and everything else. No, I'm going to do it. She says, well, I'm going to have to talk to the, you know, the actual um, specialist and see what she says. I don't care what she says. I'm going to tell you because I have done my research and I did the double mastectomy. And guess what? My breast specialist came back. The best decision you could have ever did, because once I opened you up, you were full of papillomias. Papillomias are the same as when people are um, have mass fibroids. And you know that's a big thing in the black community. Women giving them fibroids and having them bleeding issues. Well, the papillomias are the same thing with the breast, and they were ready to explode. So mm. if I had gotten a lump neck, me it could have came back somewhere else. If I had gotten um, one breast, it could have came back on the other breast. So for me, the best decision for me to do is a double mastectomy. And then I did a year of treatment with six months of extreme chemo to make sure that they didn't leave a speck. Because even though you take the tumor, you don't know what's going on around the outsides mm -hmm. of that tumor. So that chemo can kill all of that. They checked my lymph nodes to make sure there was no chemo. I mean, no um, cancer in the lymph nodes to travel to other parts in my body. So for me, that was the best decision. And that's the reason why I do the pink lunch. lunch and this is my second year. I just did it. I bring in oncologists to come in and talk about it. Mm -hmm. I had a lady come in, Dr. Sam from the James um, Cancer Institute, to come in and explain to Black women what they mean when they say one in eight women. And mm -hmm. I one in eight women can con um, can can catch the cancer, breast cancer, and there is a fifty nine percent chance that you may make it or may not. Mm. Okay, so therefore, early detection, and they're there's they're they're doing studies and studies about the reasons why we get it and different things, but you know that's something personal. So one thing that I will say about the cancer, once I started to educate myself, and I didn't want to go into a depression, the the chemo and all of that is the physical beat down. But the mental beat down is me being a woman, mm -hmm. me losing women parts. One thing that I didn't tell you in the beginning of the broadcast is I had an abortion mm -hmm. when I was younger and became barren. Okay. Mm -hmm. so when I became barren, um, I could no longer have any children um, and different things of that sort. So losing my uterus because I end up having to have a hysterectomy eventually. Now losing my breasts. Mm. Now losing my hair. So I'm married. Okay. Men are visual. I felt like an alien. Um, my, my husband was kind of squimish. So he didn't want to look at me at times because, you know, I didn't got chopped up chest. I, you know, and I felt inadequate. Mm. And so therefore, what do you do 
when you're feeling like you're not a woman. And then when the chemo just kind of shut me down, I want to say that my community came like roar. I mean, they fed my family. They came and they brought food because I couldn't cook. I didn't eat much, but my husband needed to eat. And my son, and they, they cooked food for my family. That was probably the best thing ever. They came and washed my clothes. They came so my husband couldn't take off work anymore to take me to my chemo treatments because I couldn't drive. They came and they drove me to, the, to my appointments and drove me home. All of that, when someone has cancer or going through chemo, was the best. I remember there was a lady, she said, I'm going to focus just on your son. She bought him every snack he can think of, all the chicken nuggets, juicy boxes, whatever. Girl, he was, you know what I mean? He was good. So those are the kind of things that when somebody says, let me know what we can do. We're not, especially women, we're not going to let you know what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure it out the best way I can. So it, just feed us. That's what you do. Just cook some food and um, make sure that we're fed. And then, you know what else my community did? They showed, they introduced me to wigs. Oh. I wore a wig before. You know, <laughs> my husband wasn't comfortable with my bald head at times. And even though I would get on social media and show you all my bald head, he really was never comfortable. When we went out in public, I would try to wear it. And you could tell he was just uncomfortable with this bald head. My my son, because he know he liked to crack jokes on people. He didn't want me to take him to school or, or whatever his friends. And so I always had to have my head wrapped um, in, in a scarf or something um, during that time. And I didn't have to. And people say, oh, you should let them know. But, my, but I cared about how they felt. I did. And so I honored them by at least wrapping my head. So then my community said, hey, we're going to show you what it's like to wear wigs. <laughs> I never wore a wig before. So then they started. And I don't know if people know me. I used to have this big, beautiful afro. And that was my little crown. I lost every, I mean, I remember when my hair just fell out. And so they introduced me to, to, um, to wigs. And I actually have on a wig now. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm really still working on my beautification. So then they said, okay, we're going to show you about lashes. I had never wore lashes before. They gave me some lashes because the chemo takes all your hair away. You don't have no lashes. That's probably the best thing about it. <laughs> it takes all the hair away. But in time, um, they started to really show me how to beautify myself where I felt inadequate as a woman, as a wife. And that's one thing about women where our, 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 our vanity. So they started to doll me up. And it made me feel good that I have options. I can wear my hair bald. I can wear my head wrap. I can wear a wig. But now I know how to dress myself up. Then I had to learn how to dress with no bra. I mean, not bra. I mean, uh, breasts. How to fit clothes and things. So over time, the healing just started to come. And I said, basically, in my prayer with God to have faith that if it is meant for me to be here, then I need to do the work to be here. If it was his, it meant for him to take me back with him, I had to learn how to find acceptance in that. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want to tell people, oh, you want to pray? I want her to live, live, live. No, it has to be God's will. Everything has to serve God first. So I had to make a decision and say, God, whatever your will is. Mm-hmm. But until it's my time, I'm going to continue to do my work. But I'm also going to find some acceptance that maybe the work I've done has already been completed. And I think when that, when I got that mentality, it just kind of showed face. And it, my time wasn't, it wasn't time for me to go. Mm-hmm. It was time for me to continue to heal her um, work that I'm doing, 
continue to build and grow my foundation to mm -hmm. bring women, the masses of women in to heal our hurts. And now this other faction to heal our bodies. Yes. Never, never worked on that. Right. And healing her body with the pink luncheon dealing with breast cancer awareness bringing education and resources to women um getting them out here to get that early detection was just another additive to what my foundation was doing that's amazing work julie i mean absolutely amazing so there's three things that i got out of what you just said number one advocate for yourself medically yes Mm -hmm. be, your best, be your best advocate you know your body better than anybody knows your body mm -hmm. number two embrace your community and allow yes. them to embrace you yes let them help you mm -hmm. and then it is okay to rediscover you after you and that's what i did you, i loved how you said i had to rediscover me uh -huh. that is it that was every, everything you said i had to advocate for me because i wanted to learn and not you know, crumble up and then um, embrace my community. Let people help me. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And also yeah. I had to find the beauty within me, whether I had no hair, no breasts, no nothing. Mm -hmm. I had to embrace. And then uh, all of this other stuff you can change. Yeah. You know, you can do all of that. So it wasn't really necessarily about the makeup or the hair. It was the beauty within inside of me that I had to find. Mm -hmm. I had okay. to, to really discover. That's good. So, Julie, what are what are some things that we need to do? What do we need to do um, if, um, if we if as black women at, concerning specifically um, breast cancer, what do we need to be doing on a regular basis? So what not just breast cancer, but one thing that I think women need to be doing is stop uh, stop being cruel to themselves okay mm -hmm. what i mean by that be better with yourself learning how to love self mm -hmm. is the most important thing you know what i'm saying so mm -hmm. one thing that i think that women should do is do whatever it takes mm -hmm. to take care of you period that means your health your mental health okay Get educated, your physical health, your mm -hmm. spiritual health. Stop being lazy with your self-care. Mm -hmm. We have to take care of us first before I could take care of a husband, a child, or even my community. When we're dealing with breast cancer, I, I'm, I'm, I'm strongly advocating early detection saves your life. If you want to be here and continue to do your work and purpose, you need to get your mammograms. And not only do you get your mammograms, you need to do self-checks. You need to know your body. I had a mammogram. I didn't know that I had dense breasts. Dense breasts means you need to get possibly a 3D or you need to get an MRI to see even further. So you need to basically be an advocate to do your mammograms every year. Once it, I think it should be younger than 40. Um, one of the girls that come to heal her was 32 years old. Bless her heart. She couldn't handle being bald. That vanity hit her. She couldn't handle the chemo. She was only 115 pounds. You know what I mean? She went to um, where they told her, let's go ahead and do the chemo first and see if it shrink. It didn't shrink. It spread under her lymph nodes. And then she had the double mastectomy and now she's on radiation. So it's a situation where once I was done with chemo, I was done. Mm. But everybody has to do what's best for them. Get educated on the treatment plans so you can understand. Get your village together. If you do find out that you have breast cancer, it is not the end of the world. Mm, okay. Good. It is not. I just think that you need to follow your doctor's treatment plan. Join a support group. Get some answers. Get yourself educated and, and what you need to know, especially as Black women. 
Okay. What we need to do, because sometimes we're kind of underdeserved. You know what I'm saying? As far as when it comes to education. Mm-hmm. And I know the James Cancer Center is um, trying to make it more diverse. You know what I mean? To bring more black women in to get the studies on us versus non-black so they can know what we need. Okay, because sometimes we don't have the insurance or the education or the time to take off of work, you know what I mean, in order to take care of us. Because I'm telling you, sometimes that treatment will set you down. So I just really want women to just really treat themselves better. Be stop being lazy with your self-care, like really, really make your self-care a priority. Mm -hmm. Treat yourself celebrity status. Treat yourself like a woman empowered, like you deserve to be here. You deserve great health care. You deserve love. You know what I mean? Treat yourself the best that you can treat you, because guess what? Everybody around will will start to treat you like you treat you. That's amazing. I love (laughs) I say that all the time. You got to teach people how to treat you. Definitely do that by modeling how you want people to treat you. So that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I, um, listen, I am so enriched by this conversation and being able to talk to you uh, today. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm-hmm. I love your passion. I love your enthusiasm for helping women to be their best version of themselves. Yeah. Um, so I applaud the work that you are doing. Um, I salute you. Please tell everybody how they can connect with the work. Uh, that you're doing. Uh, I'm also going to scroll across the bottom of the screen, um, your mm-hmm. website, so that it can connect you. But tell us how we connect with you and what's coming up. Definitely. So um, how you can connect with me, um, I am on Facebook under healher.org. Okay. It's healher.org. I am on Instagram under the Heal Her Foundation. Our website is, of course, www.healher.org. What we do is we host monthly support group meetings. Okay. You can go on social media or on our website to find out exactly where those meetings are going to be hosted. Um, Every quarter we're doing workshops and these are more or less skill set workshops because I think at the time, you know, a lot of girls, when you're 18, you move away from home and start your life. Sometimes Times where you know we don't want to listen to what our parents have to, to have to teach us, but we still need to continue to learn a skill set and how to handle conflict resolution and how to handle mental illness as we get older in age. So this is where you come to learn the workshops. I also do um, wellness trips. Um, where we be, get a group of women and we just kind of travel all over. I got a group of women leaving on Sunday. I got 35 women leaving, going to Cancun, Mexico on Sunday at the wellness retreat. So yeah, we do all of that. The next event that we have coming up um Actually, it was supposed to be our our holiday soiree, but I had to cancel that because I do have to go back and get one more surgery. I'm Mm -hmm. going to be down for the count, so I can't really be doing anything. But we're going to have what is called the Chocolate Luncheon. It is our self-love series, Loving on Mahogany. And we're going to have a a great speaker come in and talking about um, what it means to love yourself. And it's going to be our Valentine's Day edition. And this is for every woman, not just single women. But even married women, you know, so if you're in a relationship and you just want to get dolled up and wear chocolate because we're wearing milk 
chocolate yeah. on Valentine's Day for the chocolate luncheon. It's going to be February 11th, 2023 at Cooper's Hawk. So we rented out the whole top of the mezzanine and we're going to have a good time loving on monogamy. And we're going to really learn how to love on ourselves and what that means and what better day to do it on the day of love, which is Valentine's Day. So mm -hmm. I would I'd love to invite everybody to come out. It's going to be on our website and on our social media platforms to get your tickets. All right. Julie, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Hang in there for me for a moment, but thank you so much. So, wow. We, we were just the whole, from start to finish, really enriched um, by the information, the knowledge um, that Julie has shared about her own life experience and her recent experience with breast cancer. So I want you ladies to follow the instructions that were provided by Julie because we want you to live and we want you to fulfill all of God's purpose for you as you live. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and end the show here. But as I say, every time before we leave, if you are living for yourself, you're not living at all. Thank y'all for tuning in. Come on, ladies, let's join in. Join in my life, faith, and beauty, and so much more.